Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Good to have you here with us today. So we are nearing the release of the book, The Successful Speaker. I am so excited about this. This has been a project we've been working on for the past two years. It's going to be coming out in February of 2020, February 18th to be exact. So mark it on your calendar. We already have a bunch of promo stuff that we put together for those that pre-order the book. So we definitely want to incentivize you. We are throwing in a lot of stuff there. So if you want to get all the details on that, you can go over to thespeakerlab.com slash book. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash book. Make sure you check out the successful speaker. Get all the pre-order bonuses that are going to come along with it. You're not going to regret it, my friend. It's going to be awesome. All right. So today we've got a great episode for you. We've got my friend Terry Brock, who's hanging out with us. Terry has been in the speaking industry for, uh, I jokingly uh, told him, nearly as long as I've been alive. So the guy has a, a, just a wealth of knowledge, has a, a great radio voice as well that you're going to, you're going to enjoy. But we talk uh, about how he got into the speaking business, how his speaking business has evolved and changed, figuring out what you should speak about, how you should make sure that you are solving a specific problem for a specific audience and how that's evolved, how you can validate that in the market marketplace as well. We also touch on a little bit about virtual speaking. So Terry's doing a lot more of that where he doesn't have to leave his home in uh, sunny Orlando, Florida, and instead is able to hop on uh, Zoom or some other form of technology and talk with people in a speaking environment literally all over the world. So we talk about that as well and what that has looked like for uh, for Terry and his business. Also, we uh, I think we're going to have him back on in the future to talk more about that. That's a uh, unique topic we haven't really dug into that much. Uh, and then finally, we spend some time talking about the National Speakers Association, the NSA. This is a, a topic we get a lot of questions about. And so uh, Terry has been very involved in the NSA. It's been something that's really made a difference in his business. So we talk about that, uh, the pros and cons to it, how to get involved in the NSA, who it's for, who's not for, what to expect, all of that on this episode. So we got a lot to get to, short amount of time to do it. So let's just jump right into this conversation with Mr. Terry Brock. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Today, joined by my friend, Mr. Terry Brock, and we're going to be talking about his uh, speaking journey. And uh, we're going to spend some time talking about the good NSA, not the bad NSA. We're going to dig into the uh, National Speakers Association as well. So, Terry, thanks for taking a minute to chat with us. How are you? Grant, it is an honor and a privilege to be here with you. Glad, really glad to see you. Cool, man. We appreciate it. We've chatted a few times. We've got a lot of mutual friends in the uh, in the space, but you've been in the industry for, uh, I mean, I hate to say it, but almost as long as I've been alive. So you've been around for a minute and really have some experience. So I'm curious, let's back up for a second. How did you first get into speaking? Well, I couldn't find a job and anyone would pay me what I thought I was worth. So I thought I'll get out and start speaking. So I kind of did that. But actually, I started professionally speaking because I had been speaking before, like in high school and even, uh -huh. I guess, back in uh, third grade. I stood in front of the church and I read the Christmas story by memory because we were told in third grade we could uh, memorize it. 
get this. It was in a public school. I'll give you an idea how long ago that was. Yeah. The public school did that. But I started doing it professionally when I got out of the MBA program. And I saw a lot of people that were using these, at the time, newfangled things called spreadsheets. So I just took all that stuff they cram into your brain in an MBA program, the cash flow statements and the discounted rate of return and net present values and all that, popped it into this newfangled thing called a spreadsheet and then started showing folks how to do that. And I figured some people might be even willing to pay me for that. So I started teaching and taught a lot of executives, the Federal Reserve Bank and major banks uh, in the Atlanta area where I was that time, Coca-Cola, and then did tours of their Coca-Cola facilities over in the Pacific. And it was uh, kind of fun. I got into that and then just kept evolving. And you know what? Grant, as you know in speaking, it's continually evolving. Yeah. So today, the learning new opportunities, new topics, still using technology, but a lot with relationship marketing and a lot now with uh, blockchain, cryptocurrencies, and things like that as well. Interesting. So I'm curious, you said you were at the time going for your MBA. Were, were you planning on going into speaking or is that something that sounds like it more just kind of naturally evolved into? So what were you planning on doing originally? Uh, what I was going to do is just marketing of some sort. Didn't really know, but I figured I needed an MBA because undergrad was in radio, TV, and newspaper. Okay. And so I did a lot there and uh, started in radio when I was uh, like 17 years old with uh, the Family Life Broadcasting System, WUNN from Mason, Michigan. You know, and so still uh, working voice. with them, still got that right there. Or <laughs> WUFN, 96.7 on your FM dial. You know, you still remember that kind of nonsense. Uh, but it was great, great experience. I loved it. And then I uh, uh, went through uh, undergrad with that as a major, and I realized I need to know something about business. So the MBA program was just the right thing for me at that time. And I was very honored and privileged to be there. I just happened to go to uh, Georgia State University there in Atlanta. And I had a professor uh, named Tom Stanley. Stanley went on later and wrote a series of books called The Millionaire Next Door. Yep, yep. And I got the chance to learn from him, just a, a really highlight of my career. So you're studying for your MBA, uh, you start learning about spreadsheets and some technology there. At what point do you decide like, because it's one thing to like, I'm learning about this subject or topic or whatever it be, whether that's you know years ago or today, but it's another thing to be like, I should speak on this or I should teach on this or, or I'm recognizing there's a need or something in the marketplace. Did yep. you even know of any other speakers who are doing something similar or how did this, how did you connect the dots from I'm learning about this new technology to I should be teaching other people how to do this? That's a real good question because actually what the way it did it for me is the way that for many people, you might think about the similar type of thing that you could do. For me, I learned about spreadsheets on my own. I just had to teach myself. At that time, nobody was teaching it. There were no classes on it. I learned that based on what I had learned before with just paper and pen with cash flow statements and uh, all kinds of things like that, and then started doing some consulting on it. So I learned the product even more and I practiced with it, consulting, doing real estate syndication at that time and a lot of work with uh, other realtors and uh, with financial people. And then I saw a school that was there in Atlanta, they're on Hammond Drive, and uh, they were saying that they have a school teaching computers. And I thought, well, that sounds kind of fun. I've spoken a little bit before. And I walked over there and saw them. They said, well, what do you teach? I said, well, I've been working with this thing called Lotus 123. Because I looked at that and saw, thought that one's going to really go somewhere. And they said, hey, we've been looking for somebody that knows that. You really know it? I go, well, yeah, yeah. Here's what I, I showed them what I could do. And so they put me in there and I started speaking. And the first one I did, Grant, I got to tell you, it was a disaster. <laughs> I was terrible. People got up and walked out. I mean, I was thinking, oh, man, I'm terrible. And so I went home and I thought, I got to get better at this. And so I thought, I'm going to do it. I'm going to figure it out. So I did. And the second class I did, they stayed. You know, I'm going to put that over in the good column. Everybody stayed there. And then kept doing it over and over and over. And eventually, one thing led to another. And I became one of the premier instructors there and started working then with some people that came by from the Georgia Society of CPAs. 
And so uh, I started working with them and then did more and more with the AICPA, the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants, and then with others in different places, 27 state societies eventually. And it's like, okay, but matter of fact, the AICPA kept calling me a CPA. I'm not, you know, but they would put Terry Brock, our speaker today, Terry Brock, CPA. I go, guys, I'm not a CPA. I mean, you can get in trouble for that. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. illegal. Call yourself something. You'll be like saying, hey, I'm a doctor when you're not. No, no, no. Right. no. Say, I'm not. And they kept doing it over and over. I said, if I, okay, guys, I give up. I am a CPA, a constant party animal. That's what it is for me. <laughs> so what I did is I just learned a skill, something that I could talk about realistically that would help people. And then I started speaking about it showing a few people that wanted it, and then a few more, and then a few more. And eventually it led to me teaching, as I mentioned, some executives in uh, the major banks there in Atlanta, and the Federal Reserve Bank, and Coca-Cola, and a lot of executives in different places around the country. And it really launched my speaking career. And I was doing that for several years before I heard of uh, NSA, and then eventually got involved in that. So it sounds like at some point there, you reached a tipping point or kind of a crossroads where I think a lot of speakers may find themselves. Uh, I've done a few speaking gigs, um, whether it's something, you know, for my, my company or for my church or at the Rotary Club or whatever. It's fun. I enjoy it. There's something there. Even if it was a disaster, I know, like there's something there. I feel like there's some potential there. I can get better at this. I want to do more of this. I have no idea what to do next. So yep. how do you go from, I'm speaking at a few things here and there to ultimately deciding like, I want to go all in on this. I'm pushing the chips in. I want to be a speaker. Where do you go from there to determine how do you do this as a business? For me, it was follow the market. I think that's the key. The market started saying, Terry, we want some more. Can you come over and teach our people this? Can you teach our folks this? We need to know this thing because we didn't know that at that time people were going, gee, I don't know, computers, I can't even turn one on. Ha, 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 ha. I go, that's not funny. You know, it's, it really is. We, want, we have pity for you. You know, right, my friend right. Brian Tracy would talk about that. He'd say, hey, you know, we're going to have pity for you if you can't do that. But uh, I think the thing is you follow the market and as the market said, Terry, we want to know more of that, it was good. And then the market started saying, not only do we want Lotus 1, 2, 3, but we need to know this thing called DOS, the mm -hmm. disk operating system, mm -hmm. which was way back. I know I'm dating myself way back there. And then uh, listen to what the market said. Yeah. And so I find that's what you've got to do. Don't just wander out going, I'm going to speak about oodly boodlies. Oh, well, that's real good, Sparky. But the market doesn't care about your oodly boodlies. Right, you right. know, what they care about is something different. And so that means, as Chris Brogan says it really well, we need to grow bigger ears. And I think we need to listen carefully to what the market says and then go, okay, can I do that? Or can I teach myself? Or can I learn that from someone? Can I hire a coach? Can I go to take a class on this? Can I do this, figure out what the market wants? Then I'll learn it fast because in today's world with technology, Grant, you know, it's changing incredibly fast. Right. We need to be able to go out there, learn something that is market valuable. People say, oh, you can teach me that. How much would you charge for that? Yeah, we'll give you some money for that. Yeah. That's how you should live your life, I think. And as a speaker, you learn to talk about those things that people say, yeah, we're ready, willing, and able to pay you to come and teach us that. Okay, that raises a several questions for me. So one would be for a speaker who's going, okay, I, I know I'm interested in speaking and I'm trying to figure out, I'm trying to develop the hearing and the ears to know what is the market looking for? What does the market need? Because you're at a point now where you are speaking a lot, you're working with a lot of clients on a regular basis. So you have a really good sense of which way the current is moving, so to speak. But for someone who is newer and still trying to like get their head around the speaking world, how would you tell someone to figure out what it is that the market is looking for? 
I think the key is you want to get out there and you want to listen to them in the way you would listen to that. This is why God invented social media. You know, so we've got it out there. We've got Facebook. I would say send out posts. Do get a YouTube channel and sit down and put it out there. And then you can monitor how many people are following that. And that's good feedback either way. If you find it's crickets and nobody's paying attention to it, that's good information to know. If you put out a, a YouTube video and you get a lot more people going, liking it, hey, that's good too. Find ways that you can get your message out. I use blogging and writing a lot. You know, I'm a journalist, so I understand writing and I would put comments out. Matter of fact, one of the things I did is it was back in the mid-90s or so, late 90s, and I started hearing all this about e-commerce, this. It's really hot. E-commerce is great. I thought, you know, the e-commerce is nice. That's electronics. But you know what matters even more is relationships. And so I called it the R commerce. And I started talking about our commerce and developing relationships. Yes, we'll use the technology. It's not either or. It's like we use technology, but to help people and to build and strengthen relationships, our commerce. And so the market started saying, yes, we want that. And they would say, Terry, can you come and speak to our group? We've got a convention coming up. We like what you're saying about our commerce. Tell us that. And so I would talk about the importance of building relationships in business among customers, of course, but also employees and other stakeholders and talk about how to do that, how companies are doing it, cite some examples. And then I'd always show technology. Oh, here's a new gizmo. Here's a new gadget that's really cool. And this, notice what it does. And here's how you use it to connect with people more. And so really that's what I think we want to do is we always want to look at how can we use technology or whatever it is to help people to solve their problems and give them better opportunities. Yeah, that's a great point. At the end there, that as speakers, we're in the problem solving business. So just because you care about a topic or just because you're, you're passionate about it or just because you have a cool story doesn't necessarily mean that you're actually solving anybody's problem. So making sure that you're, you're positioning your speech, your presentation, your speaking business around that, that you are in the problem solving business. So one of the things I'm curious on is for speakers who are, okay, I've got some sense of what I could speak on. I'm kind of getting a feel for what the market is, is communicating. How do you find the balance between just because there's an opportunity that exists in the market? marketplace doesn't necessarily mean that you should be the one that should go speak on it so that you don't become this quote unquote ambulance chaser. I'm just looking for the next hot thing. Even though there's an opportunity there, it doesn't mean that I care about it or that I'm passionate about it or that I have any knowledge or should be the one that should be speaking about it. So how do you find that balance there as well as not trying to be everything to everybody? So, cause we both know the speakers who say, what do you speak on? Well, what do you want me to speak on? I can speak yeah, on anything. They, like, you got those, money, I'll speak on it. <laughs> yeah. Those speakers don't last, you know? So how do you right. find that balance there of going no, like, here's, I'm drawing a line in the sand, putting my stake in the ground. Like, here's a topic that I know that I can be an expert on, that I know I can help really solve problems on. But at the same time, finding that balance of making sure that it is an actual legit need in the marketplace that people are hiring speakers for. Yeah, I think you have to look at a combination of uh, things. Like, for instance, if you right. said, gee, I need somebody to talk about cardiovascular surgery, I'm not your guy. You know, I'm not a medical doctor. You don't want me talking about that. I don't know it, even though there's a great need for that. You know, there's a lot of people that need to know about what to do, what not to do from the layman's point of view, and a lot of cardio surgeons that need training and things. What you want to do is you want to find out where you have area of expertise. Yeah. That's either from education, a formal education, or today, more and more, self-taught education. 
from the University of YouTube and from blog and writing lots of blogs, lots of videos, lots of podcasts, audio that you can put out there. All of that is very important that what your expertise is and then what the market is asking for and they're ready, willing and able to pay for. What you don't want to do is become an expert in an area that people don't care about. I often uh, euphemistically say, if you're an expert on tsetse flies from Ethiopia in the 15th century, well, that's real good, Scooter, but <laughs> there's not right. a lot of demand for that out there in the marketplace. Right. So you want to find out what people are saying, we're ready, willing, and able to pay money for this. You have expertise and you also have the ability to learn. Because you see, just a couple years ago, I knew a little bit, but not a whole lot at all about blockchain, cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, and like that. But I found that there was a demand for it. So what I did is I immersed myself into it. I started reading. There are not a lot of books on it, not even today because it changes so fast, but reading the right blogs and watching the right YouTube channels and attending the right conferences. That's the real key today. You want to learn something, go to those conferences there. And after a while, I started doing it and then started doing more with it, learning more. And so I came up to a level where I was able to start teaching some people about that using some layman's terms. Here's what you can do. And so I would say for those that are watching, you're thinking, I want to get into something. Make sure you've got something that, first of all, you know, you feel comfortable with that that the people out there are looking for, and if you need to learn something new, and you probably will, that you can come up to speed on that. Learn how to learn fast is very important for today's world and on into the future because, Grant, you and I hang around social media and we use it and they've got these, you know, it's Facebook, then Snapchat, and then there's this and then that, and next year it'll be the Iki Woggers or whatever it's going to be, you know, some crazy goofy name for it. Well, we got to watch, is the market ready for this? Is it going to go somewhere? And can I turn that into business and the money by solving a problem? You mentioned what we do is we solve problems. I like to say that what we are is uh, in NSA, we have a certification that I've earned called the Certified Speaking Professional, mm-hmm. Professional, a CSP. And I like to say we all need to be CSPs, and that is communicators who solve problems. Yeah. And if we can be a communicator, we talk, we write, we coach, we facilitate, we do a host of activities that wonderful people called buyers are willing to pay for. And so what we want to do is we want to do that in order to solve a problem. Find out what the problem is. How can we help people? And the more we can help people, the better off we'll be. You touched on NSA. I want to get to that. But I also know, uh, I'm curious what your business looks like today. Again, you like you mentioned, you've been in this this for many, many years now. The business has evolved and changed for you as well as just the overall industry many times over the years. What does business look like for you today in terms of who are you typically speaking to? What are you? What's the problem that you're solving for audiences? How much are you speaking? Are you also doing any consulting or books or other projects that you have? How does speaking fit into the bigger ecosystem? Yeah, you're on an area that's really important because I see the most successful speakers in the world today are those who don't do just one thing. Yeah. Some will do that, like they only do keynotes. Okay, that's fine, and that is one business model. Many, though, are embracing doing multiple areas of solving problems as a communicator. As an example, recently I just finished up doing a project where I was doing training, coaching over Zoom and other tools, training the retailers of Ace Hardware. They asked me to be their chief retail advisor for all of their retailers outside the U.S., not in the U.S., but outside the U.S. And so we were training them how they can learn certain things. I'm interviewing key people that are pricing experts, stocking, inventory, signage, all the important things in retail and showing them what to do and 
how to do that, and we would uh, use the technology for that. And so that's part of my communicating, taking the knowledge I have from, you know, be sure and look into the webcam and use a good microphone and uh, those kind of things that are important to communicate, as well as here's how you come up with your ideas and showing them how to do that. And then also doing speaking. Regularly speaking, a few weeks ago, I was asked by a, a guy named Carlos Slim from Mexico, and he is one of the richest men in the world. He and his people asked me to come down to Bogota, Colombia, to open a program there, a big conference with the richest people of Central and South America. I was opening, and Ivan Duque is the closing speaker. He's the current president of Colombia. And so I got a chance to meet him, meet Carlos Slim, and work with him speaking that way. But it's like it was a specially crafted message just for them just in the way they could do it. And they were kind enough to listen to me in my very stumbling Spanish and uh, let me uh, speak it in English so that they could translate it. But I find that what we want to do as speakers, the key is be able to offer a variety of different delivery mechanisms. One of the biggest that I'm really excited about now is using video. I think Zoom is a fabulous little tool that you and I are using right now for recording, right. for communicating. I remember I started using Skype way back in the early 2000s when it was first out. And Grant, at that time, we considered it a successful communication when it only crashed four times in 30 <laughs> minutes. You know, but that was the technology we had right. back then. And Skype was doing a great job. And as I mentioned to you, I was a chief enterprise blogger with Skype. Got a chance to work with them. Great people, wonderful company. I just love them to pieces. But I love what we can do today with tools like Zoom and Facebook Live and tools like that. I think that's another way we've got to learn how to communicate because it's just a little bit different communicating over video right. than it is when you're on a stage with maybe a small group versus a very large group. Right. There's different dynamics and different skills. And, and Grant, you do a marvelous job with that. I got to just say, you are really good in the way you help people with that. The videos you do is you, you go through and you examine what someone's doing, you pause and talk about it. And those of you that are watching this, if you haven't tapped into this genius, this wonderful guy named Grant, and seen what he's doing with the videos, go back on YouTube, pull those up, it will be well worth the time you take to learn how to do those kind of things. Well, thank you for the kind words. I appreciate that, Terry. One of the things that you had mentioned is that you you do a lot of virtual speaking. I'm curious, like how big of a piece of the pie is that for you in terms of the business? Is that something like I've done a few times here or there? Is this like, this is something that is very beneficial to not only me as a speaker and in terms of like, I don't have to get on a plane, I don't have to go anywhere, but also for potential clients who may not have the budget or may not have the resources to bring you in or for whatever reason they, or geographically it may not make Makes sense for you to travel all the way there. Are you doing quite a bit of uh, virtual speaking? Oh yeah, quite a bit of it. It's now probably 60 to 70% wow. of my business, which I really like because I can use it now. And the great thing about being alive today is the video. I mean, like for instance, Grant, how's my video coming through right now? Beautiful. Yeah. And how's the audio coming through? Smooth sailing. Yeah. And by the way, you want to use an external microphone. Notice how I, so like you have one there as well. Notice how I put that right down here and you go, oh, okay, how's he doing that? You know? So you want to use those kind of things, but because the audio and the video are so good and we have the bandwidth, third factor, that's really important. It makes it much easier. But I think the fourth factor is the biggest and why there's so much opportunity for communicators who solve problems today with video. And that is people are more open to accepting it today. Before people go, oh no, no, I don't want to get on video. Oh no, I don't know what to do. Or they might do it and not do it right. Now it's become pretty accepted in uh, corporate America. And I just got back from speaking over in England and they're using it more and more over there as well. Australia, we know using it in many other places around the world. So this is a whole new world of opportunity for someone who wants to be a speaker 
And maybe for whatever reason, you can't always go over and hop on an airplane and go somewhere. That's still there. I live in Orlando, Florida on purpose because Orlando has a lot of meetings, a lot of conventions, a lot of things going on. I like it. Plus, like uh, Tennessee, Florida has a very reasonable state income tax, zero. (laughs) And so that's kind of nice too. But uh, I think right now, those of you that are watching this, look into video if you haven't already. Learn the skills, the hard skills of, you know, what to do, how to look in here, how to present, what not to do, get the right equipment, the lighting, and those kind of things. But uh, once you get that, that's going to open up a world of possibilities for you now to take a message and become a communicator who solves problems out there in the world. We may have to uh, do another episode talking about that. I'm, I'm curious and I'm intrigued by that because there's a lot of uh, benefits for speakers, especially who there's so many speakers I know who, uh, myself included, who we, we love speaking, we love communicating, we hate the travel part. And oh. people, uh, I'd say, I, you know, I'd speak every day if I could just teleport there and be back home in my bed at night. So that may be something we, uh, we may have to have a part two episode to talk about that. Yeah, that's something I do quite a bit on training a lot of people on that. And it's, uh, it's one of those things because it's okay to travel. You know, I, I want to do a little bit of it. Yeah. But for me, I've done the thing in the past where every day is a different city. Yeah. And it really wears you out uh, emotionally, physically. And besides, it's not a really good business model because yeah. it's not leverageable. It's not yeah. scalable. I mean, you they fly you from Nashville to Las Vegas. You speak to their convention. Then they fly you home. They give you a standing ovation, give you a nice fee. That's good. But in a way, you're kind of like a high-paid surgeon. Yep. yep. You're very good at that, but you only get paid when you're doing the surgery. You stop doing the surgery, you stop getting paid. Yep. 100%. I had a speaker friend tell me that very early on in my career that this is a high-paying manual labor job. You get paid yep. way too well to stand on stage and run your mouth, but you have to go there and stand on that stage and run your mouth. And if you don't show up, you don't get paid. Certainly pros and cons to it. So, all right, let's shift gears. Let's talk about NSA for a second, the National Speakers Association. I know that this is a topic that you are deeply passionate about. So first of all, for those that aren't familiar, uh, this is the good NSA. Give us a big picture. What is the National Speakers Association and, and who's it for? Yeah, we're the, I log said, we're the NSA that uh, does the talking, not the listening. The other one, the <laughs> National good. Security Agency, that one, they're doing all the listening all the time, you know, whatever. Yeah. And they're listening, I'm sure, to this conversation right now. Hi, Quite boys, possibly. how you doing? You know? <laughs> so, but the National Speakers Association is a group that started back in the 70s, and it consisted largely of, just frankly, white males that did mostly after-dinner speeches mm-hmm. and uh, run around. And that was okay. That's where the market was in the early, mid-70s. But it has now evolved and changed so that it's really much more, well, communicators who solve problems, people who are trainers, people who are facilitators or coaches, authors, speakers. But speaking is the common denominator that we have. For me, it was the right thing to do. And it still is. I've been a member for, I guess, about 31 years now. And for me, it was the right thing to do professionally. And uh, from a personal point of view, too, I met my partner who I've been now with for nine years. We're together and I met her when I was speaking at a chapter, matter of fact, in Georgia, back there in the, the Georgia chapter. And so it's been very good. But I find it helped me the first five years when I did not know about NSA, I felt like I was stumbling around. It's kind of a lonely business and you learn. I made a whole lot of mistakes. Not doing so. When you go to NSA, they have these wonderful things called conventions and workshops and they had audio programs and they had all kinds of wonderful resources that I could listen to and learn from others. And they go, oh my, you shouldn't do this, this, this. And I go, oh, I've been doing that. And they go, instead, do this, this, and this. And I go, oh, 
oh, that would be a lot better. And I try it and it helps me from a business point of view and from my personal management point of view. And for me, it's just after, you can imagine after 30 some years, I've got a lot of very good friends there. Yeah. People that I know and people that I just uh, love to pieces. You walk into a bookstore and I go, oh, I know her. I know him. Yep. Yeah, I've been over to their home. I know this person. And so you get a chance to hang around folks like that. And so for me, it's been the right thing. I would suggest anyone that's thinking seriously of becoming a speaker professionally, you want to do that, check it out. It's a national, it's a nsaspeaker.org is the website. And uh, look and see if it's right for you. You might want to take in a local chapter. That's a good thing to do if they have one in your area. And if they don't, you might look in some uh, virtual presentations. Some chapters like ours here in Central Florida, we have a virtual membership so that people in like Wyoming or in the middle of nowhere in some uh, desolate remote area can join our chapter. And then they're able to join us for the meetings live and they're able to join a webinar that we have every month and get certain benefits that way. And then the national convention is held uh, once a year and there's a bunch of workshops. It's just a good way to learn. It's kind of like if you are a medical doctor, you've graduated from med school, you did your residency, you did your internship, you're out there practicing, really good idea to get involved in the American Medical Association, your local chapter of physicians and whatever specialists, if you're a dermatologist, okay, you want to get involved in the dermatology area. If you're a speaker, you want to hang around other speakers. And Grant, you and I know each other from a, a private group that meets uh, Speak and Spill, and it's just an honor to meet you there and several other people that are really wonderful, some of whom are in NSA, some of yeah. whom are not. And I think it's an individual choice, and I would say at least expose yourself to the opportunities, learn the pros and cons, and see if it's the right thing for you. Yeah, one of the things you said that I, I 100% agree with is that speaking is a very lonely, isolating business and that you are on stage and you're the center of attention and uh, everybody loves you, but you spend the bulk of your time in a hotel room, on an airplane, at an airport, and it's, it can be very lonely. And there's, there are days where you come off stage and people may shake your hands and pat you on the back and you may still feel like, I don't know if, I, if I'm good enough to do this. I don't feel like I'm, you know, or, or I haven't booked anything in a few weeks and I'm wondering like, is this normal? And so you need those people to compare notes with and talk with and, and just to encourage each other to share wins, to share struggles and ask questions. And so NSA is definitely a, a group of people that can, can be that for people. So one of the things that you'd mentioned as a great way to kind of stick your toe in the water with NSA is a local chapter. And so yeah. for me, that's where, that's where I haven't necessarily connected in part because there's never really been a local chapter where I've lived. So, cause I grew up in Southwest Missouri in Springfield, Missouri. And so mm-hmm. the closest chapter is St. Louis or Kansas city, which were both about three hours away. Yep. I moved to Nashville about four and a half years ago or so. And oddly enough, Nashville's a big market. And I know a bunch of speakers here. Um, Joe Calloway, who's big in yep. uh, NSA lives here, but there's, there's not a chapter here. So I haven't been involved necessarily on, on the chapter level, but I've attended the national convention and it's absolutely for any speaker. I think it is absolutely worth checking out, um, whether oh, yeah. on a local level or on a national level. Because there's a, again, like you mentioned, there's a lot of speakers there. There's a lot of uh, one of the things I, I found is like this is a unique world where we're all in many ways competitors, but at the same time, one speaker can't serve the entire speaking world. And so there's plenty of business for everybody to go around. Plus, oh, yeah. if I do a, go speak at something and I do a great job, they're not going to have me back for a couple of years. So I want to be able to say, you need to talk to my friend, Terry, he would do great at your event and vice versa. So it's, it's really, really important for business to be able to network with other speakers. And, and NSA is definitely a, a great place to do that. Yeah, absolutely. It's really good. And it's worth the investment to be there and see the one thing you might want to consider, Grant, is, of course, I gotta, I'm got. i required by law, I think, to do this since I'm a past president of the Georgia chapter. It's about a four-hour drive from Nashville to Atlanta. Just bounce yep. down there, maybe some weekend. Hey, take your family down to Atlanta, have a great time. And then on the Saturday when they're meeting or so, see if it might be a thing for you to do. 
Yeah. Yep. Just pop in there. So is there anything, one of the things I've heard from speakers is if I join NSA, will I get gigs out of it? And so one of the things I would try to clarify is it's, it's not necessarily event planners or people there that are looking for speakers as much as speakers connecting with other speakers. However, that's a great opportunity. Like I kind of touched on there for you to get gigs just from referral, from spinoff, from networking with other speakers. So how have you found that being a part of NSA has affected your speaking business and, and specifically like the number of gigs that you're booking? Oh, it's huge for me because everything that I have done most, yeah, everything is a big word, but uh, I got because of somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody and I can trace it back to because I was in NSA because I was there. People knew it. Now, are you going to get, can be guaranteed that you join NSA the next day you're going to get gigs? Uh, No, probably not. If that does happen, let me know. I'd like to find out what that magic formula is because we're all still reinventing. But like for instance, the work that I did with ACE, Ace Hardware was someone, Ace contacted a person here in Orlando, and then they contacted a friend of mine who's an NSA member, and he said, oh, you need to talk with Terry. And so they made the connection of somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody. Yeah. And that's kind of the way it works. Uh, you get a chance to know people, and they uh, look at who you are. And as people peer-to-peer say, hey, I've worked with Grant. He's a good guy. I've seen him speak. I know he's good. They're going to trust that more than, well, the website looks good, and that video looks good, but sometimes they're not always as good to work sure. with, or sometimes they're not on stage who they say they are in the video. So if someone's going to attend either a chapter meeting or especially the the national convention, or there's also the winter conference, what are the best things that people should do there or not do in in terms of, of just making good connections with other speakers? I think the thing, the real key would be find out if you can find somebody who you know, or somebody you kind of know that could introduce you to some other people. That would be helpful. Yeah, the wingman. That's right. Like Waldo, (laughs) you know, Waldo Waldman, uh, the wingman. And he uh, does a lot of that. You want someone there that can help you and can kind of take you around and go, hey, I want you to meet my friend so-and-so and And get involved in some of the uh, parties there. Matter of fact, it was interesting. When I learned about it, I learned about it from a speaker uh, named Jim Cathcart who I had heard of before through Nightingale Conant. At the time, it was a place that sent out a lot of audio tapes. He had an audio series with Tony Alessandra, and I was speaking in New York, the Marriott Marquis, did like a Thursday and Friday, and then the, the sessions ended on Saturday. He was speaking Saturday morning, so I made it a point to go there and see him. I wanted to meet him, and I introduced myself, and he said, well, are you a member of NSA? I said, what's that? And he said, oh, it's the National Speakers Association. He grabbed a paper and wrote down the number, and I realized at that moment I had a decision to make. And I'm glad I went the right way because that was a decision that literally changed my life in business and personally to get involved at the national level, but also at the local level and really get in there, not just join, pay my dues and sit back and go, okay, I'm waiting for it to give me some business. I got involved. I I attended the meetings. I let them know that I was interested in that. And they put me in charge of uh, working with another person. There was two of us actually doing a speaker school. They're in Atlanta. And so we did that and worked. And then I did that well. And they said, well, you ought to you know, come be our finance guy. You know a thing or two about money. We want you to do that. Okay, sure. So I was VP of finance. And then I became president of the local chapter there. And then that went from there on to doing many other things so that I got uh, on the national board. So it's really no mystery. It's about relationships, yeah. building relationships and providing value to others. And as you do that, get involved in an association and you become the person that helps others, as you do that, there's something that uh, is just amazing about the world, that as you give help and you really help other people, not with the sense that, oh, I'm going to hope I get something back, it does come back to you. Not always from the same person, but somehow it just kind of, what goes around does come around. And so you want lots of good going around for you. 
Very true. Very true. Terry, thank you so much for the time, man. We really appreciate this. This has been a lot of fun. So if people want to find out more about you, what you're up to, where can we go? Best place to find out about me and all the social media channels would be over at my website, which is terrybrock.com. And I know people listening to this on audio, that's spelled T-E-R-R-Y and Brock is spelled the right way, B-R-O-C-K. So it's terrybrock.com. Come on over and uh, drop me a note. Let me know that you uh, heard me here with Grant and I appreciate everyone being here. Thanks, Terry. We appreciate it. Thank you, Grant. All right, there you go. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Mr. Terry Brock. Again, if you want to check out his stuff, go over to terrybrock.com, terrybrock.com. And again, like I mentioned at the in the intro, we are probably going to be having Terry back on to talk about virtual speaking at some point in the future. So uh, make sure that you tune in for that. Like I mentioned at the beginning as well, don't forget to check out and pre-order The Successful Speaker. It's going to be out February 18th, 2020. And uh, we are doing a lot of stuff, putting in a lot to the just to incentivize you to pre-order. So a lot of different bonuses there that you're going to want to check out over at thespeakerlab.com slash book. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash book. So make sure that you check out the successful speaker and pre-order it there. All right, my friends, that wraps up today's episode. Catch you next time. You're awesome.